from high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Thursday, September 8th. Grand Staff Canyon is an oasis between the sandstone fins and red cliffs on this side of the Colorado River. There's a perennial stream and lush vegetation. Even on a blazing summer day, it's cool and shaded. Gerald Elias first visited the canyon in the 80s with his family. And we just loved it because it was cool and the kids could walk in the water and it was, it was just a, a lovely hike. But it, that was my first connection with William Grandstaff. I had no idea that his name was William Grandstaff at that point. Elias is a violinist and writer. He was concertmaster of the Utah Symphony. And like others in Moab, he was intrigued by the canyon's namesake a black cowboy pioneer that ran cattle in this remote area of the country. Well, one of the things that intrigued me was that there were so many different stories about him, and I didn't know which were true and which were, you know, just fabricated, just, you know, legend. So we began researching and composing. Since 2014, Elias has written three pieces about Grandstaff's life for the Moab Music Festival. You're listening to one of those compositions now. Grandstaff's story goes like this. He arrived in Moab in the mid to late 1870s. There were few non-native inhabitants of the area at that time. A Mormon mission was abandoned in the 1850s. He had his cattle right here in Grandstaff Canyon, which was perfect because of we've got the stream here, and also it's a, a slot canyon, so the cattle couldn't go anywhere. You know, so it was, it was perfect for him. Eventually, there was some tension with the white settlers in the area. According to legend, he was accused of selling liquor to the Native Americans. Pressure got so high, he left everything, including his cattle, and hightailed it to Colorado. There's one quote, supposedly by him, that when he was told that the white settlers were up in arms to go after the Indians, he purportedly said, I think I'm the Indian that they're after. And that's that's when he left. Records show he ended up in Glenwood Springs and was a saloon owner. He then tried his luck at prospecting. And over the course of time, he became kind of a hermit and had a little cabin up in the mountains all by himself and sadly kind of faded away. His body was found in 1901. He had died there and no one had known about it for a few weeks till they discovered his body. This period of Grandstaff's life has largely been a part of Moab lore, but what was unclear was where he had come from, how a black cowboy ended up here not long after the Civil War. For Elias's latest composition, he worked with genealogist Nick Sheedy to dive into Grandstaff's pre-Moab days. And so the main record groups that I would search are U.S. censuses, state censuses, vital records, which would be births, deaths, marriage records. When you get back to the slave era, the most important record group are probate records, wills, and estate inventory. Chidi researches ancestry for the PBS show Finding Your Roots. His expertise is in African-American history. I would say with pretty good confidence that he was held in slavery by a man named George Grandstaff in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. It's unknown how Grandstaff escaped slavery. He could have run away, or he might have been freed. There's evidence that Grandstaff was part white, and Sheedy thinks it's possible that the slave owner was his father. As a free man, Grandstaff ended up in Ohio and joined the Union cause. Served in a company called the Black Brigade in Cincinnati, 
and that was a um, local kind of a home guard that local African-Americans organized to protect Cincinnati from what was perceived to be a pending Confederate attack during the Civil War. That was 1862 or so. He married there and had at least two daughters, but then he leaves his family and goes to Nebraska and then further west to Moab. But it kind of typifies, I think, some of these guys who got itchy feet and went west looking for greener pastures, and I think that's the case here. Grandstaff's life as a black cowboy in the western frontier isn't as unique as you would guess by watching old westerns. He's not the only black cowboy. He's not the only black frontiersman in the west, and that's a facet of history that's really gotten a lot more recognition in recent years, and that's really exciting and something to celebrate. That's Mary Langworthy of the Moab Museum. She's showing me a new exhibit featuring Elias and Sheedy's research. Historians estimate that across the U.S., one in four cowboys probably was black, and that really defies the image that we have in our brain. Visitors can trace Grandstaff's life chronologically along a red ribbon. Blue ribbons branch off to show copies of documents used in the research. At the back wall, there are some cowboy artifacts from that time period, like a wooden saddle tree. There's kind of a heavy-handed metaphor here of we know one in four cowboys was likely black, and plausibly maybe one in four of these tools could have belonged to a black cowboy. Kind of a reminder that the, the anonymity of these objects kind of parallels the anonymity of the people who use them. Grandstaff's life is just one story from those early Moab days, but the more that is uncovered, the more fascinating it becomes. Here's Elias again. So he started out as a, a boy, as a, a slave or, or freed slave, became a soldier in Ohio, then made his way to Utah, where he was a, a rancher and a farmer and a trader, and then to Colorado, where he was a saloon owner and a prospector. I mean, that, that's really remarkable. They called me something different. That can be repeated in polite company. You know, there are probably a lot of people at that time, and even these times, who really have to do whatever they can to survive. And so I, I think Grandstaff, you know, represents someone who, who really, you know, he, he knew how to do things and he accomplished things. And, uh, you know, he was a survivor. There are reminders around Moab to make sure his memory survives, like the Grandstaff Trailhead. And a couple of the oldest buildings in Moab are tied to him. That includes an old ice house on the property of Moab Springs Ranch. That building now houses a modern ice machine. With this new research, music, and exhibit, there will be even more reminders. And Grandstaff's life will move further from legend and closer to history. A 25-year-old river guide from Colorado is racking up hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok explaining the mega drought in the Colorado River Basin. The reasons for it, and potential solutions, can be hard to wrap one's head around, but Western Water Girl makes it snarky and fun. KUNC's Luke Runyon reports. Tia Leto honed her short, snappy explanations of the West water problems guiding rafting trips down the Animas River in her hometown of Durango. 
she'd have just a couple minutes in between shouting paddle commands to the tourists in her boat. And after running the same stretch of river a few times a day for months... You get to the point where you're like, okay, I know I'm going to need to call a command in exactly 45 seconds. Like, what story can I tell in the meantime? And I'll tell you, the better stories you tell, the better tips you get. That same formula works on TikTok. Just trade the tips for likes. On the app, Leto goes by Western Water Girl. And her clips regularly garner hundreds of thousands of views. Colorado River Basin states had exactly 31 days to come up with a plan to reduce their water consumption by 25%. In her videos, Leto, with her straight brown hair and cat eye makeup, sits in front of the camera news anchor style. Photos of the Southwest's shrinking reservoirs pop up behind her. And hopefully, if enough of us are talking about it, then water managers and elected officials in the Southwest might feel pressured to actually change the system. The Colorado River has been her focus since she started on the app earlier this spring. Tens of millions of people depend on the river, and it's facing a serious shortfall in supply. Leto says the concepts can be hard to grasp at first, which is why she avoids all the jargon that comes with the heavily engineered systems used to plumb the arid west. Like, I get comments that are like, wow, you just connected a lot of dots for me. Like, I, I understood pieces of this, but you're the first person who explained it in terms that I can understand. Leto grew up rafting the streams of southwestern Colorado and says one event in particular was formative. She was working at a local outfitter one morning in 2015 when the sheriff's office called. They said, I don't know what you're planning on doing today, but you're not going to be able to go rafting. A plume of neon orange wastewater released from the Gold King Mine into the Animas River was making its way toward Durango. In Colorado, a crew working for the Environmental Protection Agency accidentally released a million gallons of toxic sludge into a river. As the news spread, Leto, 17 years old at the time, found herself fielding calls from journalists all over the world. I had no idea, like, the scale of the issue, nor what to say to those people. <laughs> Since going viral, Leto's TikToks have earned praise from others in the world of water. Bronson Mack is in communications for the Southern Nevada Water Authority. He came across Leto just by scrolling and says a partnership to help spread the agency's conservation message could be in the cards. And more than anything, the impact that we saw with that is how direct and accurate the information was. Leto says she sees a way to make this a career path. More water agencies and environmental groups are reaching out with offers to collaborate, turning her hobby into a money-making opportunity. And she says the timing is right because she's already found an audience. Like, yes, it is complicated, but the public deserves to understand it too. And that's why it's really important to break it down into like small bite-sized pieces. Especially, she says, because the region is reaching a moment of reckoning on water management. And finding a good solution will require everyone to know how it works. I'm Luke Runyon in Durango, Colorado. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, September 8th. Get your community power journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.